There's a whole crowd of men out there who need this. Welcome to the case study. This case study will be marked down in time. Known to all as the record keeper of the historic rise of the woke man. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, welcome, gentlemen. I don't know if any women will be listening to this, but quite frankly, I don't care. What I want is to see the change in man. Yes, that's hurt. The change in man. This is the Woke Man series, where you hear the stories of men who changed, who laid to rest their old ways of thinking, and who opened up and started expressing their truth, revealing emotion strengthening their self-awareness and breaking free from the old paradigm of being a man. This is going to help men find the courage to open up, to break the shackles of toxic masculinity and to guide them home in becoming a better man. Let's go. Oh, by the way, it's Luca. Luca Reedy from the Feeling Alive podcast. And The Woke Man is a sub-series. You're welcome. Welcome back to The Woke Man series, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening so far. We're at episode 43. I believe this is 43. And this is a case study, the case study on the conscious man and how they went from unconscious to conscious. So anyone out there, brothers and sisters, can look at this information and start to take the leap for themselves. This is a path of finding more internal happiness, more internal peace and self-empowerment. And I'm here with my work brother, Corey. Thank you for joining me, man. Hey, bro. How you going? Very good, man. Very good. So the first question is, where did you grow up and where do you live now? Um, so I grew up in Western Sydney across a number of different suburbs there, shifted houses a fair bit growing up and now I live in Perth, Western Australia, down in um, south, 20 minutes south of Perth in a beautiful, beautiful location, 10 minutes from the beach, 20 minutes from the city. So yeah, I'm nice, west. Awesome, brother. So did you, what time, what, what age did you leave Sydney? Uh, uh, I was 17, man. So I joined the Navy. Um, and then went down to Melbourne to Crib Point and then shifted back to Sydney and then they shipped me to Perth. Wow. Met a girl. The rest is history. <laughs> so, Are you yeah. a rugby league man? Uh, yeah, I played a lot of rugby league growing up. So I don't really... I don't really follow sports too much these days, man. I follow like loosely just to have those conversations to dive yeah. into people, but I'm more into Formula One, I guess. And oh, nice. Kind of my, my jam these days. Mate, that's an art, that is, isn't it? Formula One. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> um, how old are you now, Corey? Uh, 43, actually. Episode 43. I'm 43. Man, that's so funny. How's that, <laughs> And so, what do you do for a living right now, bro? So it's pretty diverse, man. My main source of income is from personal training. So I just work in a boxing gym, just coaching. I guess just coaching people to be fitter, healthier humans. Yeah. And then I do some psychology work, I guess, coaching, life coaching with um, with men and women. So just kind of working through, working through their journey. So I've got some business owners. I've got women with PTSD, men with PTSD. So kind of just working across that space, just in that, um, 
I guess just helping people, it all comes down to helping people with their mental health. Mm-hmm. I guess doing a lot of inner child work, getting them to see where the problems come from deeper rather than kind of staying at this, where they're at in their pain, yeah. stepping back into a little bit of deepness and then run men's circles, man. So I, yeah, so twice a month we have an online circle because during COVID I ran them every week just because I felt like men needed that space to be able to connect and talk and now we still got some fellas from outside of our local area who jump onto that and then we have a face-to-face once a month and I'm just rolling out a program called Connection which is for fathers and sons basically to um so fathers and sons will come together for a weekend like three days we'll do some work with the teenagers do some work with the dads bring them back together and just kind of create a real deep heart connection between between men and their boys man that's awesome dude I love that what a great program um what's one thing you're really good at one thing I'm, oh man, what's one thing I'm really good at? I think I'm really good at getting people to open up, man, like really get them to like talk about what's sitting on their heart and just get them out of their headspace. Like I feel like that's my my gift to the world and it has been even in my past career as a sales guy, I was able to like connect with people like was relationships before sales. Yeah. And that's what made me really good at what I did. People wanted to recruit me and et cetera, et cetera, because I was good at selling stuff to people they didn't necessarily need mm. because I was good at the relationship side of things. So I feel like that's always been my, my gift yeah. really. Yeah. I've seen a really interesting pattern actually with people that have the similar responses, like good listeners, good connectors, build rapport really well, um, like yourself they always tend to have jobs like that before. It's like a it's like a symbol. I call them the symbols of synchronicity. It's like you're always going to be building that skill earlier in your life to be using it in a different capacity later. So that's yeah. really cool, man. And what's one of your biggest fears right now? Oh, one of my biggest fears, man. I guess if I... I guess one of my biggest fears right now is I've got to drop two grand on a campsite... <laughs> And will I get 30 families to show up, like 30 men and sons to show up to that? You know, like if I just throw it out into the world, will I show up? You know, if I start a podcast, will people listen? Will people want to come on as guests? You know, like that's kind of my, I guess that, that, that fear of people not showing up for me has been like one of my biggest challenges. I've, I'm stepping more and more away from that unless grabbing at stuff and more kind of trying to let things come organically, just sharing who I am and what I'm about. And if people resonate, just kind of letting it flow. So like reality is I only need to get five families to cover my two grand. So I'm, I'm kind of happy with that. So it's just, it's just that fear of do people really want what I'm putting out in the world, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally valid brother, but good on you, man, for just leaning, leaning into that discomfort and for the sake of serving. I think that's really honourable, man. For real. Um, what's your favourite quote? What's my favourite quote is be kind to yourself. Simple. It is so simple, man. Like I, I close off a lot of my conversations with be kind to yourself. If guys are like beating up on themselves and there's a bunch of thread, I'll just like drop in, be kind to yourself. Like that's my... <laughs> That's my line, man. I think just people... Were you not kind to yourself for a long period of time? Oh, man. I just... 
I actually just unpacked this with my psychologist yesterday, mm. actually. I was um, we were having a conversation. She just goes, like, for the first time, you're just being you with no armour, with no hiding. I guess I, like, I built this, I built this physique to, like, create this barrier of protection. Like, I had this, I guess, trauma growing up and... I created this barrier of protection, which then was like wrapped in anger, which was then wrapped in, and then it was wrapped in exercise and movement, pushing myself beyond my capacity to like just unhealthy exercise, unhealthy anger. Everything I did was really unhealthy in the masculine. So it was like as a, as a family man, I would go out and drop $40,000 on a rally car with no conversation with my wife. Mm-hmm. Like, and that was just all about ego. It was all about, like, look at me, look at me, because I didn't really value myself, so I needed the, the stuff around me to create create the validation. So, yeah, I just, yeah, I'm just really now being kind to myself, man, like, really in the past, like, few months, you know, even though I've been on this journey for so long, I, I you know, my wife said to me, like, the only person who's out to get you, Corey, is you. Mm-hmm. You know, like, which was... Sounds like you got a lovely wife there, man. Yeah, man, she's a, she's a beautiful human being. It's, um, I guess the challenge in the relationship has been I've been disconnected from myself, right? And then instead of owning that, it's just easier to go, she's disconnected, she's not showing up, she's not being present. Yeah. So I've really been stepping into where, what do I own in my relationship? But yeah, she's, um... Yeah, she's an amazing human being, man. Like she's, we've got a cousin at the moment who's in a bit of grief and, like, she's there every day, you know, like, just showing up. Mm, that's lovely, man. Yeah. What's a conscious man to you? A conscious man is a person who's aware of his impact on the world. Yeah. He knows when he's doing wrong, but he's conscious enough to make a choice to go, this is not who I want to be. This is not the impact that I want to have. And it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be the online program. It doesn't have to be the men's circles. It can be like just day to day. So for me personally, I just my my vision in life is to want have one positive impact on one person each day. That's beautiful, bro. That's you awesome. know, like, and I've had that today because I had a guy ring me this morning who I haven't spoken to for three years, and he's like, "Hey, man, like, I've just been thinking about your men's circle." And we just had a beautiful conversation around what's happening for him, you know. Like, and I shared that with him because he's in this state of doesn't value himself, so he's constantly breaching his values to show up for people to do things that he doesn't really want to do. So, like, it comes back to like, well, how can you honour yourself? You know, like saying no is okay. Mm-hmm. We don't have to say yes to everything, you know. Mm-hmm. Man, it's good that you're in that space to be able to support them. And I guess we'll talk about, like, friends in a while and how that sort of changes as you change. But it's really powerful, bro. What What's one thing that challenges you right now? <sighs> what's one thing that challenges me right now? I guess I... I mean, I guess just exercising in a healthy way. Like when I go into the gym, I feel like I have to be this guy who pushes himself to breaking point all the time. So I'm really trying to show up and be healthy, but not in an unhealthy way. I guess that's my biggest challenge right now. 
mm-hmm. I guess the other thing is with my PTSD is like I binge on food, right? I just, I, that's my, at the moment, that's my crutch. Mm-hmm. It's like I get home, I'm stressed. I grab a packet of Tim Tam and just consume a whole lot, you know? Mm-hmm. So I guess there's a little bit of body image there, like an expectation that I should have a six pack for the, the work that I put in. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's a little bit of body shame around that for me. Um, and I guess that's really where it kind of sounds, I, I don't know if it sounds shallow. I feel, I, I even feel talking about it. I feel like it sounds shallow, but that's just where I'm at right now. I feel like that's where my challenge lies in just showing up for me at the gym training at a level that I want to train at and not feeling the need to show off, mm-hmm. which comes back to ego mm-hmm. and to really push myself in a place of, of hurt necessarily. Like totally just kind of where I've been, you know. Totally just take myself to a place of if I'm really in a dark place like last Tuesday I was in like a super dark place and I threw up in the middle of a, 50, of a 30 minute class you know mm-hmm. like I just took myself to the edge and beyond so it's kind of like just coming back 10% from the edge which is plenty being kind to yourself yeah being kind to myself mm, I appreciate you sharing that man what's unconditional love mean to you Oh man, unconditional love. So it's funny. I was talking to my eleven-year-old actually about this the other day. He's um he's going through the whole puberty talk at school and the womb and the eggs, and he's like, "Oh, what was my birth like?" And I'm like, "Mate, like your birth actually wasn't smooth. <laughs> like when when you were born, like when he was born, my wife went into contraction. I was at Bunnings buying hardware. I've come home. I'm covered in dirt. We've gone to the hospital." And then we're there for a few hours. It was kind of all chill. But then when the birth happened, he was actually born and they score children like on a scale of one to 10. And he was like a two. So he'd actually, the mucus had broken and he'd swallowed like the, basically his own shit. He'd swallowed it and he wasn't breathing. So they had to like extract him. And when he was born, it was like... I've just seen enough TV shows to know you don't need eight people in a room to birth a baby, right? Mm. So the room's full of people, so I know something's wrong. They've, like, used scalpel, um, whatever the device is, yeah, suction to pull him out, and then there's no noise, right? He's not crying. So you know all I wanted to hear him was cry, right? And when he cried... Like, that was the first time I felt unconditional love. Wow. Like, this responsibility for another human being that can't fend for himself. Like, I'm, yeah, surprised how heavy that is, actually. Mm. I can totally feel that, bro. I feel that too, man. It's just like, you do absolutely anything for them, hey? So that, for me, like, is unconditional love, right? Just showing up Mm. with no expectations, with no... It's showing up with no expectations. So with my wife, it's like just showing up for her with an open heart mm. and being open and honest about everything that's going on for me. And if that doesn't fit for her, not then being defensive and saying, well, you don't support me or whatever it is, you know, just explaining that this is my journey, this is what I want to do and how I want to live my life. Mm. But also being aware that she's my life partner and there needs to be a balance between giving and taking right like we can't just take 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 from the world from our relationships because then what do we have left at the end right yeah yeah man that's beautiful what 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 about a greater power do you believe in a greater power and what is that to you 
Yeah, I believe in I believe in a greater power. I frame it as God. Um, I guess for me, I grew up in an atheist family. For some reason, at sixteen, my parents put me in a Catholic school, so I end up getting. I said I want to get christened because maybe it was a part of I wanted to fit in with everyone else. So I was like the non-Catholic kid at the Catholic school. So that was just another point of difference. I don't know. Mate, potentially that was that, but for me, really. I always had a belief in a higher power, but I had someone die in my arms five years ago, which was kind of my pivot point. We'll, we'll dive deeper into that later. But in that moment when he died, I felt his soul leave his body, right? Really? And then I, I didn't know what that was, but I knew it was something. And for me, I was so calm in that moment, right? Like I was, I was beyond calm, man. Like I was able to go there, sit, hold this guy's hands and direct paramedics and rescue teams of what they needed to do while I'm holding space for this guy. And as soon as we pulled the steel off him, he was gone. And as soon as he was gone, I was gone. I crumbled. So I guess the question that I was asking was, was, did I have the Holy Spirit sitting on my shoulder holding me? In that moment, did the Holy Spirit leave me when he passed away? Or was that just Brendan's soul leaving his body? I don't really have the answers, right? But I just know that there was something there and that I was meant to be in that moment with that guy. It was like a lesson, you know, we spoke about my truck getting flipped earlier. It was a lesson for me to, to shift. To start so following, I just following that greater power, start believing in it. Well, yeah, start believing in it, but start believing in myself, right? Because God lives within us, you know? Like, we are... Yeah, we have that within us, right? So if we don't honour it, then we're just disconnected and fragmented, you know? We want to be whole. We have to own our own power, right? So it's following the path that we're own inner gifts, whatever they are, you know? Like, some people are athletes. Some people are coaches some people are salesmen we've all got our gifts but it's living authentically and following those gifts i think is really honoring honoring the higher power within ourselves really yeah that's beautiful brother let's get into your your story now this first question is what did your life look like as unwoke and what does it look like compared to now Oh, so my wife would have described me as an angry, arrogant asshole. Maybe we should get her on here, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's very, uh, she's, yeah, she's very private, man. She's, uh, yeah, that's all good. I'm only kidding, man. So, but yeah, so angry, anyway, arrogant I, asshole. so like I actually, I'd been coaching with, um, Steph Stefandos. I don't know if you've had him on the show, man, but I can connect you up. Yeah. He was my, he was one of my coaches and I was working with him and we kind of had, I'd been through, yeah, I guess who was I, right? I'll go back to the question and we'll get into all that other stuff. I was this guy who was angry all the time. I built this tank of a body to be able to go, fuck you, you're not going to fuck with me because it's not going to end well for you. So I portrayed that energy a lot of the time. Then on the flip side, I had this egoness that 
I can get whatever I want and I'll take whatever I want and I am going to be the best salesman on the planet because I'll just sell you what you need. You know, like people used to say, you could sell ice to an Eskimo. It wasn't necessarily ethical, right? In the way that I went about it for myself, it wasn't unethical in terms of the law, but in terms of how I was as a human being, I would tell people what they wanted to hear mm-hmm. to close the deal rather than mm-hmm. the facts of, of the information. And it made me very good at what I did, but... It also, I just chased money, right? Like I would just go from job to job to job, like whoever was the highest bidder. So it was just a prostitute, you know? Mm. I'd just sell myself to the highest bidder. And that's really how I, I lived my life before, you know? Like just mm. had this this angriness about me, you know? Like I just, I had a capacity to hold one friend at a time, mm. you know, because I had a fear growing up. I didn't have, I just shifted so many times schools. I didn't have a capacity to build large or larger groups of friend networks i just didn't feel like i ever fitted in anywhere mm. so i'd have one friend at a time you know so mm-hmm. and then that would inevitably they would get to see the real Corey at some point and they were always unhealthy relationships because it would be just me doing things for people like i'll do this i'll do that i'll do that because i was so scared of losing it i had no self-respect no self-worth mm-hmm. that i would just show up in that way mm-hmm. Which yeah. wasn't healthy for me and probably wasn't healthy for them either, really, because at some point they just got fed up with me showing up or yeah. I lost my shit or whatever, you know. So that, that that's that's who I was. Yeah. Yeah. And so what about now? How how different are you now? Oh man, like it's <laughs> Virgin, you know, like I'm on Virgin like I was talking about the other night on men's group, you know, I'm on version five thousand two hundred and one, you know, like and I'm just, I'm calm, I'm kind. Do I lose my shit sometimes? Yeah, absolutely, you know. But I'm like, I'm trying to be more conscious about that, you know. I shared that story about my sons, you know. We we just keep practicing the same things over and over and over. We never change, right? Like, so in the more, I'll just share this story for, for relevance. So my son in the morning, he's on his iPad. I say it's time to go, two more minutes. But he'd already been given a five-minute warning. So then when he gets off the iPad... He goes, you're angry. And I'm like, and that triggers me, right? Because of who I was. I was this angry guy. So then I get angry. I'm going, and I get angry by saying I'm not angry, which is fucking ironic, right? Yeah. The anger comes out of me saying I'm not angry. Yeah. And so then I'm like, and then I'm in the car and I get, once I get into that mode, I can't turn it off, right? I'm just like... I'm not angry. I need to defend myself. I need to defend myself. I'm not angry. He's eight years old and I need to defend myself. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. Right. But that comes out as rage and like screaming and not healthy. Right. So in this particular day with I'm two minutes into it, I'm like, I've been listening to Joe Dispenza. I'm like, how can I, this is a pattern. I need to shift this. So I started talking about how you train your dragons. Right. And I've got this, there's this, character called Drago on dragons and he controls the dragons through anger basically he swings his stick above his head and he's like rawr, rawr. so I just shift from saying you made me angry to you know that character in dragons Drago rawr. and I'm in the car and I'm screaming rawr, rawr. and my kids are laughing right and I'm laughing so we've shifted the energy from anger to fun and then we have a conversation about it. And I started with, you're always angry when you get off the iPad. And he's like, I'm not always angry. I go, okay, let's bring it to the present moment. This morning when I asked you to get off the iPad, were you happy or were you angry? He goes, no, I was angry. I go, okay, so you were angry this morning. 
So when you're angry, do you feel that you're angry or do you just say, I'm angry? And he goes, no, I say you're angry. I go, mm -hmm. okay. So to be clear, I wasn't angry this morning. I got a bit frustrated and started to throw a tantrum, but this is actually what happened. So I was able to really like step into who I want to be here today rather than being Fuck stuck yeah. in that old programming, right? And yeah. I don't beat myself up about it. I'm just like, nobody's perfect, right? And I'll totally. probably slip up again, but yeah, totally. that's just where I'm at. I'm trying to catch myself, trying to step out of the moment and go, and how can I shift this? <laughs> Mm -hmm. That's so, and such a contrast between the before and, and then now, man. And it's beautiful to see your journey. What was your biggest vice in that unwork period? What what were you sort of grabbing hold of back then? Oh man, I would say money. I eh? <laughs> actually like yeah, yeah, just money, man. And then just buying the toys, you know, like buying the ten thousand dollar push bike, buying the rally car, sell the rally car, buy the jet boat. Sell the jet boat, buy a jet ski, sell that. It was just like about yeah, dude, wow. that gratification, right? Instant gratification. Mm -hmm. I'd, buy, I'd buy stuff for 10 minutes of ten minutes of excitement and then it's gone, you know? And then yeah, you man. start seeking the next thing, you know? That's fascinating. And, and what so you talked about anger as being predominant, your predominant emotion. Has that been the dominant one or has there been something else as well? Oh, no, anger was just wrapped over the top of everything, right? Like, that was... Mm -hmm. Well, did you contribute that anger to something that happened in your past? Oh, yeah, I contributed to just, like... I don't want to go too deep into this because I just want to honour my parents where they were at, but, like, I was a 1970s child, right, and children were just brought up differently, you know? Like, my mum had her own mental health challenges and I grew up with with violence I guess and, and I guess so So you know you know where it's come from, that's the point though. We don't have to talk Yeah, I know. I was just mirroring behaviours that I'd learnt growing up basically, you know, and then it was just to become a protection thing for me. So Yeah. I just needed to protect myself. Yeah. So anger is a anger's a great way to protect yourself, you know, but it's not. Are you finding forgiveness for those experiences? Yeah, absolutely. So I've, yeah, I've found forgiveness for those experiences. I um, I still have. I guess I don't have a relationship with my mum and my brothers and sisters because they kind of can't. They don't see it, but I have a relationship with my dad, and and that, and that's that's okay. Like I'm okay with that. You know, they have their anger towards me because I was so angry, and. Yeah, like my mum, I love her, but I know that if I have a relationship with her, that will end up toxic at some point because yeah. I will regress mm -hmm. to match her and she will regress and it'll just yeah. be, we've got a history and sometimes we can't, you know, the definition of insanity is to repeat the same thing over and over and over and expect a different outcome, you know, so, and that was hard, man. It was hard to like say, I can't do this anymore, like really hard. Yeah. Because... You love your parents, right? Like they're the ones that love you, but and they, and they do love me in the way that they love me, but it's just mm -hmm. it just doesn't really work. Mm -hmm. Who, who's loved? Who's loved? Did you crave most, and who did you have to be to get it? Oh, man, who's loved that I crave the most? I mean, I really, I just didn't get any love, bro. To be honest, like I just didn't feel it at all. So I really crave love from wherever I could get it, you know? And that showed up in my relationships like as an adult, you know, because I would go from girl to girl to girl 
and just be in love and serious about it all the time. And then when we broke up, it was like instantly into the next one and instantly into the next one because I just needed someone to love me. But really, we just need to love ourselves, right? Mm, yeah, I guess as, as growing up, you sort of just like, if you're not getting that, then you don't really look at loving yourself. You just look for love outside yourself until you get to a point like where you're at now. You yeah, you just, I guess when you grow up with no love, right, you just, um, I don't know, it's it's difficult, man. They, they just probably, I know there's heaps of men out there that grew up with no love, right? Like, it was a different time, you know, Nineteen people were born up in the 1950s, you know, I spoke about this. So the story that I use is I've got a gentleman I'm coaching at the moment and I had a chat with him about his family tree, right, because it's important to understand the history. So his great-grandfather went to war. So his father grew up with no father because his father was at war. And then his father or his grandfather then worked as a workaholic and then his father worked as a workaholic and now he doesn't want to be that way. But none of them, none of those men passed love down to each other. So how can they then pass it on? Like they didn't receive love in their life, so how do they then pass it on to their children? Yeah. And that's kind of... That's kind of where I'm at with my observation of it, you know. Like, yeah, I just, I just have nothing but compassion for our previous generations. You know, like, there's this whole, we've evolved so much as human beings that we have an expectation that love is in our life, right? Without, with the people that we love immediately, with my wife, with my children. Like, there's love that goes forward with my father. I tell him I love him every time I see him. And he tells me he loves me. That's been a long road of him being able to say that even. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like, do you, what would love look like to you if you were to get it back then? I don't know, man, hugs, pat on the back, you did a good job. Mm. Do you do this with what? your children now? Yeah, I don't focus on the outcome, man. I focus on the effort. Like We talk about the input. You know, I've got a son that goes to squad swimming at 5 a.m. three times a week. We talk about the effort. He got third place in champion boy at the swim club. We didn't talk about him being champion boy. We talked about all the work that he put in underneath that. That's, that's kind of what we reward. That's conversations when they get a school certificate. We don't look at the marks. We look at the effort and we talk about, okay, you, you've done amazing here because you've put in you've put in effort, you know? Like that, that's what gets rewarded in our house. We don't talk about the outcome. Mm, we get fixated on the outcome, you know, and then it doesn't come. We end up in depression, right? Mm, I love that, man. That's beautiful. Talk to me about one of the lowest points in your life, man. And and was suicide ever an option in your life? Uh, yeah, suicide was an option, man. I guess when Brendan died, so I'll share the story. I, um, so I was at work. There was a co-worker who I'd had a relationship with, right, over the years. So he worked for me at another company. I fired him because he was an alcoholic. He came to another company that I was working at. He kind of kept following me around. He came to another company, and I'm like, don't give that guy a job. He's an alcoholic. Interesting. And I, I guess I'd started to become a bit more conscious and aware of my impact on other people's lives. He came to another company and applied for a job. The operations manager knew I'd worked at a previous company and said, hey, Brendan's applied for a job. What do you think? And I'm like, look, man, I'm hands off. How did he interview? Was he able to do the job that you want him to do? 
And he goes, yeah, but I've got a feeling. I go, well, ultimately, man, I'm not going to make that decision for you. I'm not going to give you any information other than put him on a three-month trial and see how he goes. Like, where's the risk in that? So I end up kind of ultimately influencing him getting the job. And then the day of the accident, I shouldn't have been in the factory. I was sick, but I was a workaholic. So I rock into work, operations manager's off, so I'm running the operations. I walk in the factory and I say to the guys, you guys need to move. And I told him to move a bunch of steel. He got crushed underneath the steel. I still cleat around 300 mil long, pierced his body. He got stuck underneath that. I've come out to the factory and it's quiet, right? This is a noisy environment, so I knew something was wrong. And then we went through the situation of helping Brendan get out from under the steel. And someone said, we need someone to sit with him. It was the CEO that got asked to do it, but someone said, no, you're not doing it. Corey is. So I ended up in that situation. So I was holding Brendan's hand, basically. You know, his, his last words were to me, don't let me. Was he conscious and, and awake at that point? Yeah. So his last words were to me, don't let me die. You know, and I'm like, in that, like I can talk about it now. I'm loaded, but I'm not so loaded that I can't verbalize it. Like in that moment, I couldn't say to him, you're not gonna die, because I knew he was. So when, he, when, when we pulled the steel off him, he died. And then I fell in a heap, you know, I ended up in a cold, I ended up in a shower, fully dressed, covered in blood. Like I was in a suit, man, you know? I ended up covered in blood and I'm sitting on a bathroom floor fully dressed, someone came in, undressed me, put me in overalls and put me in another room and took me home. I lost all of that time. I only know that because people have told me about it. Mm. And then I just, I just couldn't function, man. You know, like, I literally just fucking laid in bed and, and I guess in that moment I had to make a decision about whether I go to drugs and alcohol or whether I go to like the other alternative was cycling. So I would just get on my bike and ride. I would just finish. So I didn't, I wasn't present for anyone, you know, I wasn't present for my wife, my kids. That was that really hard, man. For? That probably lasted for two years. And then I had insurance companies like private investigators following me and, you know, and that wasn't healthy, you know, like for me or, you know, it wasn't healthy for me. So, you know, there was threats of violence and then like just the worthiness like, am I, am I ever going to get out of it? Am I going to be capable of living a normal life? And just like learning to accept that man, you know, like, it was really, really difficult, like, because I, like, I was the alpha, you know, and all of a sudden my wife is doing everything, you know, and then I, I started a charity working with kids at risk, like, just because I needed to give back. And then that kind of unraveled and actually the thing that saved me, man, was the insurance company ended up saying, like, I said, I want to try and go to work doing something else outside of like construction. I can't go back into construction and be in an environment where there's a threat of death for people. Like, cause that was very real for me. Like I didn't want to experience that again. And whether the likelihood of that was happening again or not, that was real for me, right? But I guess at my lowest point is I, um, 
you know, I didn't just think about suicide. I tried to commit suicide, man. Like, I took my car and I drove it into a telegraph pole, mm. you know. And, like, the car's written off and I walked away with no injuries. You know, and then I was... I guess I ended up... I guess at some point what I was doing with my psychology wasn't working, right? Like, it was... It just, just wasn't working. Like I was I was getting better for a week and then going back and then getting better and then going back. So I just decided like I needed to do something different. What does that look like? And then that's where I found Steph, Safandos, you know, like that guy saved my life. Because mm-hmm. he was able to empower me to look at things differently. Mm-hmm. We're able to start doing the inner child work, right? Because it wasn't... My pain wasn't really, the trigger was Brendan, right? But my pain was really associated with years of trauma growing up. Like, it was all the anger. Yeah. You know, all the things I did wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you, brother. I I guess for me, it was like healing that past, you know, doing that inner child work like really protecting my inner child, like having conversations with him, making him feel safe. You know, but then like, I just, that, I guess that addictive personality that I have, I just applied that to my healing, you know, like Steph would say, okay, we're gonna do this journey. And the space that I created was like the lake at the end of my street, like a hundred meters from my house. I could physically go sit in a safe space that I created in a virtual space, like in my mind. I could physically go sit in that space and I could do inner child work every day. So I would do it. We'd have appointments every two weeks and I would do 14 days of inner child work and go back. He's like, man, I can't, we can't do this session that I had planned because you've, you're 10 steps past where I want to be. So then we'd do it again. We'd go deeper, deeper, deeper. And I'd just heal and heal and heal. And I did that for probably 12, 18 months. I'd have blocks off in between like three months or six months and then come back. So I had time to assimilate, process and move and shift, mm-hmm. you know. And now, and then I had a period where I didn't have a psychologist, but now I've got a psychologist that I see and I, I meet with her every three weeks. And sometimes I've got a lot of deep stuff to talk about and sometimes... We just shoot the breeze and something might come up. I'll just show up for that because I know that I need support, right? Like, it doesn't matter how woke I think I am. Yeah. We all need support, right? Absolutely, bro. Absolutely. And how does Brendan live on in your life today? Do you, do you take a lot of that experience with you in, in your work that you do now? Yeah, that's a good question, man. I hadn't really thought about it, but... Like, I guess I do, right? Because Brendan was a guy that I couldn't save. I couldn't get him to stop drinking. I tried when I was working with him, you know? Instead of, like, holding him in my heart, I kicked him out the door, right? So I guess part of what I do now is really opening up, like... I I guess I do it for old Corey. Mm-hmm. I do it for Brendan. I do it for many men, you know? I do it for my father. So, but yeah, absolutely, man. Like guys who have, you know, I had a guy message me and goes, do you work with meth addicts? And I'm like, oh man. I said, well, yeah, you're just a human that uses meth, bro. You know, like, but why are you labeling yourself? You know, and then, you know, we did three sessions, he's off meth and hasn't been back on it, you know? Like, 
just about treating men as humans, not as alcoholics, not as meth addicts, not as whatever the label they've given themselves. It's helping them free themselves from that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Brendan was an alcoholic and I'm like, you're an alcoholic, get out of my workshop. You know, at some point, obviously I was starting to awaken because I was able to like let go of that ego around, fuck you, Brendan. You fucked me over at the last company, like you're just gonna do it again. So it's, I was kind of on that journey, right? The truth is, I'd been on that journey thinking about change, right? But so scared of it. I'd been thinking about, I'd been talking to people, oh, you know, I'd be a good coach. I should, I should go to coaching, but you know, but giving up, giving up the money, giving up the car, giving up the title, giving up to start from scratch, like that's fucking scary. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's definitely like I don't know if you've ever considered this, but the way I see it is like, man, his soul was following you around because he he knew he was connected to you far bigger than what we we feel like on this human existence. That's how I feel about it. Like, oh yeah, he's, you, he's you, have you ever considered that too? Like, like he was following you from job to job to job, and then this experience happens, dude. That's crazy. Yeah, like this was this was. I mean, to me, it seems like a, a higher play for sure. Yeah, 100% it was a high play, man. This was like, like I said, like God flipped my car to kick me into gear, right? (laughs) This was, yeah, it was a high play, man. I have no doubt. That's why, that's why the energy, that's why Brennan's soul was so prominent to me. Mm -hmm. That's why it was there. It was like present, you know? Was that the greatest moment of awakening that you had in your life? Was there something else? No, that's it, bro. Yeah, yeah. A death in your it. arms is pretty profound, eh? Yeah, man. Mm. What? We all have a choice, right? It was four guys there, and the other three went back to work. Yeah. Doing the same thing, you know? Yeah. They called me a fucking pussy when I went to the factory with a psychologist. Really? I'm just like, man. Mm. You know, like, yeah, apparently the psychologist thought it would be good for me to go back to the factory and <laughs> see the scene, you know? Which wasn't, but yeah. it's a lesson, regardless. Yeah. What what healing modality helped you most after that? Oh man, the inner child work, bro. Yeah. All day. The inner child work, like just going deep into that, healing that inner child. You know, like I had three guys on my men's call on when on Tuesday night, and we we're just talking about inner child and. I was sharing all my stories about my inner child, like, so I have this, if I want to go to a happy space, like my inner child is at a beach, you know, like running in and out of the waves, like chasing the water, like running away from the water and giggling. Like that's kind of where I, I drop into that space of like joy. I was sharing that with the guys and I took them through a guided meditation, you know, and they're like, man, I can't remember the last time I, one of the guys said, I can't remember the last time I had happy thoughts about my childhood. You know, we can get so stuck in the darkness of the, our childhood that we forget about the totally. the joyful aspects of it. Mm, always see the worst, eh? Yeah. And what about your friend group? How's that changed as you've changed? Oh, man, like, I don't have... I've, I've probably got two friends that I still associate with that were with me before Brendan died. And, you know, they... To be honest, there was guys there that I'd been showing up for who just vanished, you know. They they just didn't, whether they didn't have the capacity or whatever, but they just dropped off the radar. So I basically had to rebuild from scratch, man. And even 
even in that process of rebuilding from scratch over the last five years, I've had friends who are now not friends because they don't like how I am. Like I'm judgy or whatever, you know, like they don't want to have curious questions. They just want to be stuck in their, in their darkness. You know, like there's a guy who's a mirror image of me. It was almost like he came into my life to teach me not to go back there. <laughs> you know, like we have deep conversations, but he's like, he's just not willing to change. You know, he's not willing to let go of, of all the stuff. Mm-hmm. So my friend group now is beautiful, man. You know, like there's guys from my men's group that are part of my men's circle. I have a lot of virtual friends, like through Facebook groups. You know, I was part of like Super Dads Online. I was in the middle of all my pain. I was just sharing, sharing, sharing everything about what was going on for me in any online forum that would listen. It probably wasn't really healthy, but the leaders of some of those spaces reached out to me and go, Hey man. So like Jared Lestrange from super dads online, like he's one of my best mates, you know, it's his birthday today. So I rang up and sang him happy birthday on a voice message. And then we just had a beautiful conversation, you know, like he's gifting me, like he's, he knows how to build websites and launch podcasts and it's his birthday. And he's gifting me all this knowledge on his birthday. You know, I'm like, bro, I feel guilty, man. It's your birthday and you're gifting me all this beautiful stuff, you know, but it speaks to volumes to who he is as a character, right? Mm. So they're the kind of people I like to have friendships where I give and take. Yeah. You know, we don't, it's not about all the balance. Yeah. Like, and I was talking to a friend, like one of my good mates, Andrew, um, like one, sometimes we're in each other's pocket and sometimes we don't see each other for months. But he, um, I was talking to him, I'm like, man, like, you're my only friend, you know, like, I was feeling sorry for myself. He's like, bro, are you crazy? Like, and he just rattled off, like, <laughs> all these people who are who are connected and dropped into my life that I just, like, had this lens on. Like, I carried this lens from childhood because I went to so many schools and I only had one friend. Then I went to workplaces and I only had one friend. So I had this lens that I can only have, I can only, I can only support one friend at a time. Mm. I've only got space. It's so narrow, you know, like, but the truth is if we have true friendships, we can pick them up in a year. We can pick them up in a month and they're still good friendships, right? Totally do. It's when we have expectations around, I need to be seeing everyone. I need to see all my mates every week, you know, like, Sets us up for failure, sets them up for failure. And I think we all have different roles in friendships as well. You know, if we just accept our friends for who they are, then you can have a beautiful friendship, right? But if you have a friend who you know is not going to pick up the phone and then you have an ego about it and go, well, I'm not going to pick up the phone because he's not going to pick up, he's not going to pick up the phone and ring me. So I'm not going to pick up the phone and ring him. But we all have different gifts and abilities, right? And my gift is to be able to connect with people. So it's egotistical. That's my ego getting involved when I go, well, I'm not going to ring. I'm, Andrew hasn't called me for the last three times, so I'm not going to ring him. Yeah. I've had a friend say that to me. He's like, man, I organised the last three events. Like, you need to organise the next one. Yeah. And that was it. That was the end of the friendship. Because I didn't want... Like these expectations. No, I don't want that expectation on me. Like that's not for me to own, you know. You know, he was organising it because I was in the middle of my PTSD and I could barely fucking function as a human, let alone maintain friendships. Yeah. yeah. I feel you, bro. What part of your con- this conscious journey are you most grateful for? 
Oh man, just all of it. I'm grateful. <laughs> so true, eh? <laughs> like just all of it, man. Like because you know, I was on a thing called Reclaim Your Kingdom with um with Steph, a men's group that was running. There was this um guy from Texas there, and he used to like he used to do random voice messages into our messenger chat gratitude's the attitude <laughs> like yeah. with this text and you know but like i would do a video and then he would jump on gratitude's the attitude <laughs> like as just like epic you know so i've just like just embraced that like yeah. because we have to be i don't know we have to be grateful for all of it, man you know like someone a coach said i wasn't ready to hear it but this coach said to me he's like man everything happens for a reason yeah and i'm like fuck you (laughs) because he didn't know my pain yeah like how but you know like like I've had so many you know like on top of Brendan dying my next door neighbor's son died and like my best mate's daughter died you know like 12 months apart Mm. you know Brendan died my best mate my next door neighbor's son died and then my best mate's daughter died all within three years of each other Mm-hmm. You know, and I just, I guess when my mate's daughter died, that was really a sh- another shifting point for me because mm-hmm. I could be like, I can be stuck in my stuff mm-hmm. or I can step up and help him move through his stuff. Mm-hmm. I can show up for them, mm-hmm. you know, so. So you've come to see that differently now? It's how it's like everything happens for a reason. Have you come to see that? Yeah, absolutely. But you can't. <laughs> I also know that you can't, like I said that to someone at the gym the other day, she's got an autistic son. And I'm like, well, what's the lesson? She's like, don't even tell me that everything happens for a reason, Corey. I don't want to hear it, you know? So I'm very conscious of like when I talk to people about that because yeah. they need to be at the right phase of their journey, right? We can't totally. just, I can say it now because I'm, I accept that Brendan died to create this space for me, you know? I don't I think, understand. But I think that's what it is, though, is like the people that actually experience it have the ability to say it because, you know, you've come out of this PTSD and you go, everything does happen for a fucking reason. And I didn't believe that for a very long time. But here yeah. I am on the other side and I can show you the steps that I've taken if that helps you. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess when someone's lost their nine-year-old child, you know, oh, my... Yeah. The pain, but the thing is, it's it's good to mourn too. Like it's like, let's mourn oh, this, man. let's feel this, because a lot of people won't know what that feels like. Why well, people at his funeral who said to me, "I didn't know you knew Ty that well," mm. like because I mourned, like I cried. Mm. I'm at a funeral, man. Like there's this expectation that we're stoic at a funeral that we just hold it all in. Yeah, fucking know. Like what? What's the point, man? You know, like we cry, we cry, we cry, yeah. and then a week later. Like actually, after the funeral, we're over next door. We're over next door, right? And there's like heaps of people around, and like I cut my like my speech could have been 15 minutes, man, about Ty. You know, like I like he was my son. You know, like he wasn't my son, but he was my son. Like he was at my house with my children, as much as my children were at my house. You know, like we were we're connected as family. So I had all these stories, but I like I cut it down because we're at a funeral, right? I don't want to be speaking for 15 minutes. And then I'm sharing all these stories and these people saw on the news that Ty had passed away. So it's like distant friends, essentially. They rock up to the house and they're crying, which is fine. But they said I couldn't be happy. <laughs> and I'm like, I just said to the family, you know, like, 
you just need to stop these people coming in because they're not like ty's been dead for 15 days and it's not about not mourning but it's about like respecting your own boundaries now you know like we're celebrating ty's life right now and that's okay like it's okay to have moments of happiness to celebrate his life because what are we just gonna are we just gonna like live in the sadness of of him dying or we're going to celebrate those things you know like ty literally three days before he died we're playing basketball out the front and he says to me i go oh he was he used to he used to play basketball every morning at 7 30 right it was my wife's alarm clock he would bounce the ball and he would take he would shoot for 20 minutes before he went to school and I was out there with him messing around and I'm like, oh yeah, this is awesome, Ty, like practice makes perfect. And he goes, no, Corey, practice makes progress. Whoa. He was nine years old, man. Whoa. Like I needed that lesson, right? Because I lived in perfection. That's wild. I lived in perfection, though. When you heard that, it just hit you hard, eh? Well, it's just... It just stayed with me, you know. Like it's not necessarily hit me hard, but I just think that it's just wise advice, right? Yes. Very interesting, man. A nine-year-old can come here and say so much and have such an effect, and then leave this earth, you know. Yeah, that's right, man. But he served his purpose, you know, which is hard to kind of reconcile. But yeah, man, and you know, like that's that's the part I think is is evolution is is getting comfortable with loss because it's the only thing that's consistent. Is that we gain, we lose, we gain, we lose, we gain. It's change. It's ch- change has been the only consistent in the history of time, you know? Well, we don't live our life because we fear death. Yeah. You know? Like, I went to Bounce. It's a trampoline place with my kids on Sunday. And I was doing front flips. My wife's like, oh, you're going to get hurt. I'm like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Should <laughs> be goes, right. There goes the hamstring. There goes the shoulder. <laughs> yeah, I've got a strong body, man. I train, right? So I should be able, like in my head, I'm just like, I've got a strong body. It's not like I'm going like from no training to doing front flips. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, totally. but it's the fear, right? It's the fear, man. You know, like we went to a climbing place. I've been like, I just did a post on this actually. I went to this climbing place and I didn't know how it finished. It finished with a 20 meter abseil. But you're like, you're in a harness and you're locked in, but you have to like drop off the side with no one there to like say, you'll be fine, mate, you'll be fine. You know, I'm like, I said to my wife, I'll record this. And I'm like sitting on the platform going, I can't do this, I can't do this. You know, like in this state of fear, right? But, totally. but I did it, you know? So like, we just can't let, we should, we should step into fear states to know that they're not really gonna hurt us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree, bro. This one's the last question. What's one tip you would give your younger self, your old self, who's just starting this journey? Oh, man. The one tip I would give myself is just to be... There's, there's two things, right? Change is inevitable. <laughs> oh, actually, man. <laughs> there's so many things, right? If you're still feeling the pain, it's not over. Okay. When it's over, it won't hurt anymore. Mm-hmm. And what makes it over? Well, your own experience, right? If it still hurts, Would it be it's like not over. The lessons in it, like seeing the beauty in it? Well, there's, there's the lessons, there's the beauty, there's the observation. You know, hindsight's a beautiful thing, you know? It would be beautiful if you had hindsight before it happened. Yeah, totally do. But like, just, yeah. just be kind to yourself and just know that if you're hurting, it's not forever. Yeah. 
Like if you're in pain, it's it's not forever. Yeah, I love. And can how fast can you get out of that? You know, like how fast can you just let it go? How fast can you let go of that pain? Mm -hmm. Is it really pain or is it just a story? Can you let go of the story? Mm -hmm. Like that's that's where I'm at right now, man. Like where's the story? What's the story behind this? Oh, what's the story? What's the story? Yeah, is it my story? I agree, man. I really appreciate your time, man, and sharing your story and sharing a a lot of your experiences and getting his real. And and I know it was quite emotional. Even I felt your emotions in that, man. So I really appreciate that. Thank you for showing up. Thanks, man. Yeah. And for everyone listening to this, you can reach out to Corey if you want to connect with him in the show notes will be his Instagram profile. And I, I really hope you have taken something out of this and continue to keep following us on this on this journey. We've got over just under sixty more episodes to go, and then the journey really begins with this Workman series. So thank you so much for joining me. Thanks again, Corey, and take care. I got love in my eyes, bro, I can't see I'm gonna be who I'm destined to be Wokeness is taking my old self away Yeah, I put love into me I'm spreading that love, yo, don't you see Grab your cacao and drink it with me Cause wokeness is taking my old self away Woke man, wokey woke man Woke man, wokey woke man Woke man, wokey woke man Bring love and just be Woke man Wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, woke man, wokey woke man, bring love and just be.